You are cordially invited to listen to the 12th example of the 99th episode. Um, unless I get a really, really good one and make her laugh, then that's like, I feel like a minor victory. That is how we win by our annoyance. <laughs> the marriage story. <laughs> yeah, if you ever have kids, it's the same thing. It gets to the point where you you're just constantly trying to low key annoy them until they just accept you for who you are. Uh, that sounds like a good plan. Okay, <laughs> thanks for the tip. All right, parenting tips in the morning. All right, finally we had a lesson back. I feel like it's been a, a while since we've had a lesson in the show, and so I'm glad we started out with one. I think we were rife with lessons on the last one, actually talking about Sandman. We got into a lot of uh, deep stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Only stupidity from here on out. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> so what, what what stupidity would you like to start with? Uh, I know you had some shows to talk about. One thing that, that I always love to talk about that you brought up is uh, deciding how to go about collecting. Yeah. This one's been on my mind a lot because we have limited space and limited space for bookshelves i think is more important the the limiting factor here and all our bookshelves are completely full pretty much we are reaching overflow capacities on bookshelves i managed to clean up some stuff off of one shelf so i currently have about half of one bookshelf available to me for my comics, hardcover collections, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just to also put it in perspective, all my trade paperbacks, which alone took up a giant bookshelf before I moved in with my wife, are all out in boxes in the garage. All my hundred Star Wars books are all out in boxes out in the garage as well. So... Right now, like, I, I am already overflowing the kind of lesser stuff out into just storage out in the garage. So uh, I'm really, really short on space and room. And essentially, until we move, that's going to be the case because we literally don't have anywhere else to put a bookshelf in the house. We have probably six or seven bookshelves in all the places that make sense. So unless we're going to put it like in the middle of the kitchen, <laughs> there's there's no more bookshelf space. So I started looking at my bookshelf, which I keep all my hardcovers on the bookshelf. And my hardcovers are kind of the things that I kind of cultivate that collection a little more in that I like it to be things that I think are I either really like or warrant having in hardcover for some reason or another. But I'm looking at it and I'm also thinking, do I really need everything that I've got on here? And um, especially I look at, I have a whole shelf of like Marvel hardcovers. And I think about how well I can access all this stuff on digital now. So is it worth it to keep these things? And that was exactly a question. I was like, I think that's one of the starting point questions is like, you look at individual things that you own and you can ask yourself, why do I own this thing particularly? So, uh, the absolute Sandman, you don't just own that. So you have a way to read Sandman. You own it because you wanted a really nice edition of it that allows you to really appreciate it. 
and it's something that you've read over and over, which like we've talked a lot about how the fact that I almost never read stuff again. So for me, that's like, that's always a big factor. Like, am I actually going to read this physical thing that I have? Am I going to look at it? You know, it's like, I think about things like that. It's like, I have all the TMNT IDW collection hardcovers. Now it doesn't matter to me that I'm not like actively reading those. That's just the way that I have my TMNT collections. Like those aren't going anywhere, whether or not I'm reading them, that would be like, you know, absolute sandman or like other things like that that you know are just like this is slam dunk my favorite yeah and this is the way that i have it you know yeah also for that for me is all the valiant deluxe editions Mm -hmm. well like for me with the valiant deluxe ones because i was getting all those and i when i got to the point where i realized i just couldn't financially keep up with them it made it a lot easier to go okay well if i can't keep up with them like, do I want to keep trying to collect them? Or, and if, I, if I'm not actively trying to collect them, do I even want them? And, like, honestly, that allowed me to make the decision to start selling them because I had other ways to read them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had uh, been purchasing a lot of it, like, here and there digitally on, on Comixology sales. So it's like, if, if you have another way to read it, that allows you to challenge yourself a lot more with it. So, like, the Marvel ones is a great example. I have a couple of Marvel hardcovers, but I also I'm not subscribed to uh, Marvel uh, Unlimited. I've I have been at times, and I I will be again at some time when there's something I really want to dive into, where like ten bucks for a month is uh you know is worth it because it's what I'm going to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. Even then, like if you're going to read like one solid trade, ten bucks is worth it because you know even a uh, the thinnest trade paperback cover price is like sixteen bucks. And that's, like, for, like, a three-issue trade, you know? I mean, like, it, that'd be, like, the smallest thing. Yeah. Um, but, like, I have the Uncanny X-Men Omnibus. That's something I purposefully wanted, so that way I can look through the art of all that X-Men and eventually reread it without having to pull out all the sloppy... The sloppies, good lord. The sloppies. The flop- <laughs> I, I combine floppies and sloppies. Got a big sloppy the collection floppies, there, buddy. <laughs> it, it's actually pretty tidy. I keep it sparse. Okay. Um... I, I combined, I was going to say the floppies that I've slowly collected. That became sloppies, so that's a new word now. Slow floppies. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, but anyway, so, like, I have that because I want to be able to, whenever I want to, grab out that big book and look through it. And it's like, I love that era of X-Men. I also have um, the hardcover omnibus of uh, Mad Fraction and David Aha's Daredevil. Or not Daredevil, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Um, because not only do I think that series is fantastic, but it has a special place for me. That's, that's really the series that got me, uh, thinking differently about comics from the big two and about how like some of them, like you can engage with really differently and it opened my eyes to smaller characters. And I'd say probably on the whole, I, I've probably enjoyed more, comics about the fringe characters than I have about the major characters because the major characters are always so like bogged down in either in events and stuff like that or having to maintain the status quo I think that that's pretty common yeah it seems like the stories with the characters on the fringes is where people can be a little more creative or tell stories that are much more here's the story I want to tell versus the story that Marvel comics corporate overlords dictates must be told with these characters yeah and nobody cares about hawkeye (laughs) 
<laughs> no. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting, right? It's nobody cares until something like that comes around and everyone loves it. And then people yeah. really start to care. I mean, that's what happened with the X-Men. Nobody cared about the X-Men until Chris Claremont came around in the 70s and started telling amazing stories. No one yeah. really cared about Daredevil till Frank Miller showed up and started telling amazing stories. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at some of those those great conversions. And I mean, that's why I said Daredevil as I was thinking about that, too. Dare, Daredevil and X-Men are the two characters or, you know, I guess properties um, and, you know, the characters in their worlds that I like the best in all of superhero comics. They're the two things that I've been collecting. And yeah, I mean, it, it all stemmed from that. Like, okay, these are failing. Who cares if, you know, this young up and comer takes a shot? And like, I think you could say the same thing about Fraction. You know, Fr- Fraction, you know, he had he had enough of a name for himself, but it's not like he was established as one of the big guys. And I think after that, he pretty much was getting out of Marvel and he's been doing, uh, you know, creator-owned stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and I like I think he's I, I don't know know what he's actively doing right now, but I know he was doing a, several creator owned titles at that time. I'd imagine he still has some stuff going. But you know, it's it's always interesting to see what people could do with characters. You know, Tom King doing the vision. Like that was a very interesting series. And yeah, I mean there's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be had there. But anyways, like that's getting all tangential to sure. the point of like whether or not you should keep the collection. Um, so, like, if you look at your Marvel hardcovers, now I'm going to guess you probably got a lot of them, right? I have, like, a shelf and a half worth. That's a pretty good amount. It's yeah. not, like, a grossly huge amount, but you could probably, since you know that you actively are maintaining Marvel Unlimited subscription, you know that, like, the I need this so I can read it when I want to is not a factor anymore. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff, like... I have a lot for a while I was buying a lot of X-Men hardcovers. Mm-hmm. So I have the hardcover of Messiah Complex and the uh Second Coming that followed that and then like Messiah whatever. Oh no, Manifest Destiny and X Infernus and Nation X and Necrotia X and uh, Utopia, the Avengers X-Men Utopia, which are just kind of like random storylines that were coming out around like 10 or 12 years ago. And I just, for some reason started buying all the hardcovers just cause I was like, Hey, I like X-Men and I really like this. So why don't I just buy all these hardcovers? And now I'm kind of like, well, I have a lot of this in my sloppies and you know, I, I don't actually need it. And I haven't actually picked up one of these in, in years. So maybe I don't actually need them. There you go. You're not actively collecting them. You know you can read them elsewhere. You don't have them because there's some kind of passionate love you have for being able to look at the art whenever you feel like it. That's low-hanging fruit. Yeah. I, I had mm-hmm. quite a few uh, X-Men hardcover, same thing. I didn't think I was ever going to get the, the Omnibus, uh, and I found a hardcover that was um, it was like celebrating the anniversary of Giant Size X-Men. So I had that. It had quite a few other X-Men comics that were related in some way, whether like other iterations of giant size things or whatever, you know. It had, um, you know, art galleries, you know, so you got like, you know, pencil art or stuff like that. There's a really noisy Blue Jay out here. <laughs> They're taunting me. I heard something back um, there. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, he's kind of being a jerk over there. Like he is making a scene. Hmm. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that'll be in the background for God knows how long. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's another uh, pleasant sounds of outdoor Maine to add to the oh, ambiance. 
Makes me think like in The Simpsons, there was an episode where uh, Homer was trying to help Marge get to sleep, so he's starting to make white noise first. So he's making like ocean noises, like whoosh, waves crashing, mm-hmm. and then soothing noise, and all of a sudden he goes, Gah! Gah! Like a <laughs> seagull. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, anyways, I had gotten this giant size X Men, you know, special thing. Uh, it was I got it for a good price, which is why I got it. But when when I got the omnibus, I was like, I don't need this. And I had a few other like odds and ends X Men. I'm like, I had um, Joss Whedon's run on X Men. I had the a hardcover that collected like the first half of it, and the paperbacks that collected the, like the back end of it. And I was like, I've I've read these before. When am I going to read them again? Mm. Is there a reason that these are spe- like that first X Men Omnibus is is special enough material for me to have that? But everything else, like I don't need it. Like I'll get a, a subscription to Marvel Unlimited if I want to pound through some of these runs of X Men. Plus, if it's like in the Uncanny line, eventually I'm going to read through all those in floppy format because that's what I've been collecting, and uh, that's like I mean, my goal you mean, to do. You mean sloppy format? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do it a little faster with those. So it's actually floppy with two x uh, two f's in this case. Oh, okay. Gotcha. For floppy, that's when you read it quickly. The f- floppy is when you're taking yeah. your time. Like I'm I'm looking at these hardcovers, and there's some that I I do want to keep. I have all the Annihilation hardcovers, because mm-hmm. um, I really liked that Cosmic Marvel storyline from the mid 2000s. I thought that that was really great my i ended up buying it all in hardcover form and so that's something where it's kind of like it's also nice that it's a set collection where it's it's not there's nothing from before it there's nothing from after it it's just kind of like that is the entire thing right there yeah and so i can just have that all and and that's kind of what i'm trying to uh clean off my shelves to achieve is more of like set uh collections rather than just random stuff and yeah i'm mostly there i'm like probably three quarters of the way there but uh i still have a lot of just extra stuff yeah when you start removing the the low-hanging fruit like my, my wife and i we've uh consistently tried to pare stuff down like you know we've been in our house for like five years now um, it's either just past five years or going on five, one or the other. But anyways, we've been here for a while, so it's like we're not moving anytime soon. But before that, we moved fairly regularly because we, you know, first moved out together in California. We lived in that apartment for a while, moved to a better apartment with a different roommate, moved to a better apartment with a different roommate, moved to our last apartment in California before moving to Maine, where it was like tiny and as cheap as possible, moved to Maine in our vehicles, uh, lived in our first apartment, got pregnant, moved to a better apartment, uh, had the kid, uh, moved further north to a better place to live, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, you know, the constant moves, like we constantly were challenging what we had because we had to keep moving it for one. And two, the size of where we lived changed. So like it didn't always work in the next place that we lived. But even now it's like we kind of keep it up that way because it's so easy to get bogged down in the stuff that you own. Like one of the things that I always say to people when they bring up this conversation about how should I collect or what should I keep or, you know, things like that. Um, And I don't think this is a problem for you because like you're good at actively reading stuff, but when you get too much stuff, the stuff starts to become pressure and it actually inhibits you from enjoying your things because you just feel pressured by everything. I have all these books 
you know, what do I read? And then you start to feel like you have to read something because you have to because you've owned it. And, mm-hmm. like, one piece of advice I have for people is, like, if you have, have had something sitting there for, like, six months and you haven't touched it and you're not – you don't want to pick it up and read it right now, just get rid of it. Like, unless there's something super special about it otherwise, like, just get rid of it because you're you're not going to be likely to really miss it. And it's – by doing that, the next time you look at buying something, you're going to be like, do I really want this? Because you started to get rid of stuff that you convinced yourself you really wanted before and then discovered you didn't. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think, though, one of the reasons I'm kind of reluctant to do this is I have sold a lot of stuff that I later regretted selling. Probably the biggest things of those is I sold all of my Claremont Byrne X-Men books that I collected probably about... 10 years ago or so and I had about a third of the run but in that third I had giant size number one I had uncanny 94 I had a a lot of the really big guns in there I had a copy of 100 in really really nice shape and I just sold it because I decided you know I'm not sure I actually want to collect this stuff and now I do want to collect it and I am kicking myself for selling that because now I'm looking at all being close to priced out of getting a giant size X-Men number one that I want. Yeah. I, I started watching uh, comic book men, uh, the, the AMC show, you sure. know, it's Kevin Smith's comic book shop. And when they have people come in, like they, they've sold uh, you know, giant size X-Men and stuff like that for like, 400 ish dollars for like a decent copy and i'm just like oh my god like to be back in those days and know what things were like it'd be awesome to to have some of that but yeah i mean like i've gone through it as i'm narrowing down what i still need to have a full run and like as far as quality goes like i'm fine with books that are beat to hell as long as i'm paying beat to hell prices like i would rather have um a beat up book that was cheap than uh than spend the money on a nice copy Hmm. Uh, because like if I try to get the nicest copy of every issue, like that'd be prohibitive and I wouldn't be collecting this, you know? It's so, like every time I got one issue that would have been like, uh, I had priced out at like around 20 bucks. If I just like went online and bought it, I got it for a dollar because somebody had cut the Mar the Marvel logo out of the cover. Oh. I was like, well, it's a buck. I mean, like I might get a better copy later, but like, I'm going to be happy grabbing this for a buck and filling that hole, you know? Interesting. My thoughts have changed on that as I've gotten older and that I want nicer copies of everything as much as possible. And that like for all that early X-Men stuff, I'm looking for very fine or better typically. Yeah. And you know, you kind of set the threshold where you're collecting and it's going to be different for everybody, but like you're at the point you don't want to spread out your collection anymore. Like you don't want to, you're already talking about space limits and basically by having all that stuff in your garage and boxes, you're probably feeling more like you've you're already that much overflowed on your space limits because like why do you want to own the stuff if it's hidden away in the garage you know oh yeah mm-hmm. I mean to an extent that might be fine but um like when you start to okay I keep on stockpiling the stuff in the garage that's just like I need to get rid of this much to even feel like I'm level set so you're probably not looking to branch out into like I'm gonna start collecting Fantastic Four now you're looking no, to no. I'm going to improve the quality of my current collection. Yeah, you know, that's so. exactly where I am. I'm at. Um, one of my problems is so much of my collection is Valiant, 
And yeah. I mean, I say it as a, as a problem. It's not really a problem, but like all of the old classic Valiant stuff from the 90s, that takes up five of my 15 comic boxes. Yeah, I had uh, I had fully collected the VH1 run, which was, I believe, over 600 comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once I completed it, I uh, like we were getting serious about getting a house. I ended up selling it all. Yeah, I and I actually like I had done so well on purchasing all that stuff that I actually I made a profit on that sale and I sold it for cheap too. Like I cool. I I never like trying to sell stuff for its full value. Like I'm like I'd rather it be cheap to where like I'm happy with what I get out of it. Um, but you like I want the person who buys something from me to be so happy with the purchase that even if uh something was wrong with it, it would still exceed expectations. You know, like I want them to leave like ecstatic cool um because that way it's easy like you know i ship it to you you get it no problem it's always easy i never worry about somebody well you know this wasn't what i you know it's like no that just doesn't happen with me because like i'm always going to sell it to you for stupidly cheap and that way too if i because i like i end up making friends with anybody i sell stuff to or i'm selling to friends um so if i say to somebody like hey do you want this book for this much if they want it they know i'm selling it to them for less than it's worth so they can just be like yes or nope can't do it you know and it's not not a difficult process uh-huh That's but cool. um yeah so like anyways like for me like i got this i did all this work getting this collection done and i was like all right i'm done with that i read it i read a whole bunch of it before i sold it so i was trying to like read a whole series and then offer it to people and eventually i got burnt out on doing that and i just nope okay i'm done get rid of these things you know mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's um you know to your your point of am i gonna regret selling something you can always point to things like, I mean, if you sold a, a giant size X-Men, um, yeah, that's the kind of thing you could definitely look back on and regret. Um, but there's a big difference between that and selling the Messiah Complex hardcover and stuff, you know? The flip side of it is, like, I don't regret selling the hundreds of issues of Superman from the 90s that I had. Exactly, yeah. So if, yeah. if you had if you refuse to sell anything because you're afraid of that regret, you're going to end up bogged down in stuff you don't want. You're going to not sell something when it had value and instead, like, finally give up on it when it's absolutely worthless and you literally just have to throw it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the, the biggest thing that I found is when you do that, you stop buying stuff you don't really want also. So the the money, okay, I sold this comic for 50 bucks and now I'd have to spend 100 to get it. You probably saved that money over time because you bought less stuff because you, you start to question what you buy a lot more, you know? Yeah, and that's the other thing I'm thinking about is, like, this is all stuff that if I really wanted it again, I could get it again. And if it isn't the case where if I have, like, a random hardcover that I got from a Kickstarter or something and it's actually there's no other way to get it. It doesn't exist any other way. Like, I'm thinking about I have a Flaming Carrot hardcover that was yeah. uh, kicked started by Bob Burden and that would probably be fairly hard to replace. Maybe yes. not. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but. And that that's where it's in a different kind of category. So then yeah. you do like you, you're looking at something like that and you're saying, do I want to keep this or do I not ever want to own this again? Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, for me, if I had a flaming carrot book, I'd probably be like, all right, goodbye. You know, cause <laughs> I don't really have any special attack. Like, I think it's interesting, but I really don't have any kind of special attachment to it. For you, you have more t- attachment to it, so that might be something that you go like, if I get rid of this, I will not have it again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, like even with me, with how small my collection is, like I still kind of question stuff. And one thing I had picked up um, on clearance that I liked was uh, the um, local comic shop day hardcover of Secret Weapons. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got that one. 
I really liked the, reading that. I really enjoyed it. Like at the time, it was my favorite thing that was current at Valiant at the time. But you know what? I never read the hardcover. I really like do not feel inclined to read Valiant. Um, and as much as I liked it, like that, the fervor that I had has died off. So I took it and traded it in to Bull Moose. I know I got pretty much nothing for it because it's like for them, they're like, this is, we don't know what the heck this is, so it's not worth anything. Uh-huh. I actually saw them have it like up on the shelf for three bucks used. And then like the next time I went in there after that, um, it was gone. So like, I look at stuff like that. a huge deal like, for somebody. Cause oh, yeah. That's such a good story. I think that's... It, it is, yeah. yeah. So, like, the way I look at it is, and it, it certainly helps if you have some kind of store, you could just, like, take boxes of this stuff in and be like, hey, give me store credit. And don't, like, if you do that, imagine that everything you've decided to trade in is just already gone. Like, okay, like, there's no, is this worth it or not? Like, you have to make the decision if you're sure you want to get rid of stuff that just, like, you would... Like, you just want it gone. Don't worry about the value. Just do it. Like, rip off that Band-Aid. So much easier. Because if you get to that point and you just take them the box, you're not, like, looking through second-guessing yourself. Like, you're not going to remember that stuff. You know, you're going to have already challenged yourself of if something is worth it. So, like, with this book, I kind of did that. Like, I kept on paring stuff down. I was like, I enjoyed this. But by me taking and trading it in and now it's getting sold for 3 bucks, somebody else is going to go in there and be like, holy crap, this is a great deal, and get something they're excited about. Or go like, what's this? It's cheap. I'll give it a shot and try something that they might like. Mm-hmm. I've gotten those kind of deals at that store, um, and I love that. Like, that's one of my favorite things is finding a good deal and um, either on something that I specifically wanted or on something that I wanted to try and, and get new. You know, like um, we talked about Junji Ito recently, which by, I guess by the time this comes out is probably like a month or more ago. But uh, Oh, it's probably like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait. Uh, side note to everybody, we keep on talking about how we uh, are going to take a break, like once a month, take a week off, and we just haven't done we it. Never do. We never do. Yeah. This is too enjoyable. Yeah. But um, so I, I went into Bull Moose and I found the Jinji Ito book that I wanted used, and cover price is 35 bucks. They sell it new for 25 bucks, but I got it for 12 bucks. That made me super happy. And I read it and I loved it. So it was like, not only did I get it for less than half price of their price, but, like, the enjoyment factor was huge. So and it, that's kind of how I look at it. If I'm giving something away, like, trading it in and getting almost nothing back, that means it's going to be sold for very little to somebody else also. So if I'm ready to get rid of it, it's cool. It's like it's the circle of life. You know, somebody else is going to get a deal. I've gotten my deals. You know, it's just like um, you've given me comics. I'm realistically probably never going to give you a comic because the odds of me coming across something that you could, like, actually want or need is low. That's okay. You you find me GI Joes, so yeah, exactly. It works out. You know, stuff like that. But then, like the circle of life is like, if I have something that I don't really want, I'll give it to somebody else. So like, there's a whole bunch of people I just have given comics to just because, and I'm not worried about getting something back in return. Just like you know, when you gifted me something, it wasn't so I would give you something, but like with having that mentality. Somebody, uh, you know, that I've, I've gotten to know a bit on Twitter, I had tweeted out asking if anybody had any uh, Battle Star Galactica stuff that they didn't want uh, because my uncle has cancer mm-hmm. and he was doing really bad. Uh, and it was just his birthday, and I advised my mom and uh, helped her find him a, a Battle Star Galactica. She ended up getting him a, a trade, and uh, he was really excited about it. So I was like, man, it'd be really cool if I get him some, like, you know, some floppies because they're just something special about floppies, even if you're not into comics. And uh, so I just tweeted that out, and uh, my friend Tim said, hey, I got some that uh, that I'll send to you. 
and um, he ended up just just giving them to me, which was you know really kind of him. Yeah. And I got them and looked at thank them, you, and Tim. I was expecting, yeah, thank you, Tim. Um, I was expecting um, like a more recent series because we all know that like we'll get we'll like you know subscribe to a series or like you know pick them up in a dollar bin or something like that, and then like after a little while we're like I don't want these at all; they have no value to me because they're not old and cool. And we're just done with them. So, like, I was expecting that, you know, like, a more recent series, which, you know, would be awesome. Like, my uncle would still love that. But it was, like, uh, the original series. Uh, it was published by Marvel. And I looked at one real quick this morning and said it was based off the first episode of the TV show. Hmm. Uh, so, it's like, I don't know the whole history of Battlestar Galactica comics. I haven't seen them around anywhere, which is... Old school, like, Marvel, like, from the time that Marvel was doing the original Star Wars comics, like... Probably, I, like I want to say this is probably... 70s, early 80s? I'm not even sure when Battlestar Galactica came out. I'm guessing this was an 80s comic, though. Yeah, I think Battlestar Galactica was in the late 70s or so. I think it was okay. one of those when after Star Wars came out and everyone was like, ooh, uh, we need to make one of those. And I think that's kind of how Battlestar Galactica came around. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah so I, like, I'm super excited to send it to my uncle. Um, he... When I had when I had done that, he went through a really bad stretch uh, with fighting his cancer and um, really stressful time. Long story short, and he's doing better now. He's back home and doing better. And it's like I'm just excited to be able to like send him something that is going to be like that little thing that is you know he can be excited about. Cool. Um, he can't eat or drink stuff uh, because of his cancer, so Ooh. like he's basically getting like nutrition through a tube. So it's like the only thing that you can do to like give him something to just give that little bit of happiness is something else, like something to engage with. So, you know, like, like to me, this is something great where it's, he, he's not a comic guy, um, but he'd love that TV show. He loves sci-fi stuff, but this will just be something different that can be exciting and new, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think this is helped me think about what I might weed out and not weed out. Last thought is just like hit the low hanging fruit. Don't worry about getting everything, but like go look at yourself and be like, I don't need these and grab out like five things. Mm-hmm. Anything that just like screams to you like, nope, I can just pull this, toss it in a box and like forget about it and I, I won't miss it. Do that. And then you condense up. If And then you can keep doing that. Like when you take out the low hanging fruit and then look again, like it's really easy to keep on skimming off a few things that when you remove the the lowest of the low it becomes the new lowest of the low. And then you're like, yes, your value is not where I thought it was. This sounds like a slippery slope, Paul. <laughs> and I am very cautious about slippery it's, slopes. <laughs> it's a slippery slope towards you regaining your uh, your space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just right. send it all to me. That's cool. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Get rid of your favorite things. I'll take them. I'll hold them. Oh, okay. I, that's that's where you start that the high hanging fruit. <laughs> yes, high hanging fruit approach. Uh, just send me those Sandman absolutes, and uh, you won't miss them. I swear. Don't worry. I'll I'll, I'll pack them with the Fury Agent omnibuses. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you gotta yeah. You gotta use garbage to you know protect it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Well, so uh, what have you, what have you been up to? What's been on your mind? Let's see. I was actually I was so excited about that conversation that, uh, you know, one, so one thing I've been doing, um, we talked, and I don't even remember how much this was, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit on the, the podcast, but then we went off air with some suggestions. Um, we were talking about Audible, and uh, I looked uh, while we were talking about it, and I was available for another, like, free trial where you get two free credits, so I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool, like, 
my whole Audible history is free trials and getting free credits. I've never paid for a single thing on Audible. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Number one, I knew I wanted to check out the Sandman uh, audiobook. But then I was like, what else should I get? You suggested a few things. And what I chose was um, a sci-fi book that you recommended. Uh, what was it called again? Three Body Problem. Yeah. And so I, I was pushing myself to listen to that. But as has always been my problem with fiction, I have a really hard time engaging with fiction in audiobook format. Because if you start to like zone out, you don't just zone back in and pick up where you left off and you miss something, but it's inconsequential, essentially. Like You miss story, so that doesn't work as well. Yeah. I think another one of my factors is I it, it's really hard to find voice acting that you like. And like you've even said that there are certain um people who do the reading that are like, you know, well thought of that you do not like. Yeah. Um so for everybody it's going to be different. It's not to say somebody does good or bad and that's the problem, but just like it has to hit you the right way or you just have to be open to different but anyways, like long story short, it's not me. Uh so I was like, "Yeah, you know, whatever. I tried." Uh and then I got an email saying, hey, are you enjoying this book? You can always trade books in that you are not enjoying. That's one thing that I love about Audible. And yeah, so I went return, and then yep. I went through my history, and I was able to... I didn't return the Sandman one, because I know I specifically want that, even if it is fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I returned the three-body problem, and I returned the last two audiobooks that I had gotten also when I did the last free trial I was able to do. So I got three credits back. And oh, I said, cool. I am going to get nonfiction. So I, I, the first book I got was one that had been recommended some time ago uh, to me uh, by Sparky. Uh, and it's called uh, Sapien. And mm-hmm. it's about, um, I, I guess, like human evolution. You know, the history of, of, like, the human race. Like, but going, like, biologically. I don't know. Like, uh, I feel like it's a little bit hard to describe what the book is about because it's... Um, like, I'm just listening to it. I didn't, like, read a synopsis or anything. Kind of sounds uh, like is the story of mankind. Yeah, of pretty much. Like, in, in going back to, you know, we're, you know, like, we we call ourselves humans, but humans are actually referring to, like, a lot of different species um, that don't exist anymore, but still, like, a lot of different species. Is this um, the, A Brief History of Mankind by Yuval Noah Harari? Uh, is the title Sapien? Yes. Well, it's yes. Sapiens. Sapiens. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that that last S always throws me off. Um, like, I've been debating. Uh, I have a player on my fantasy football team, and I cannot remember for the life of me, and I haven't looked yet. Is it Joe Burrow or Joe Burrows? <laughs> that last S is a tricky one. But anyways. <laughs> yep. Just like those so, sloppies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. First S, last S, just I can't handle it. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, so Sapiens. Um, that is the book. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. And what's cool is, like, I've been listening to it while, um, like, we're kind of in winter pre-prep right now. So I've been moving wood piles to from, like, the sitting out in the yard drying out area to the usable areas. And uh, been listening to that. And I have at times zoned in and out on it. Like, one of the times uh, I was texting you about uh, something about Bad Idea. Mm-hmm. And because my mind was on that, I realized I stopped paying attention to the book. And sometimes I skipped back and tried to pick up where I left off. And other times I just like, eh, whatever. Because you can, with a nonfiction book, you can keep listening and you just like pick back up with the facts that you start listening to again. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. like, you know, you, you miss reading a, t- a page in a textbook. You don't not understand anything else that follows. You just miss that portion of, of you know, the history. Um, 
yeah, so I got that, and then I reached out for other suggestions to people. You suggested a bunch. I got suggestions from a few other people. So one book that you specifically suggested, and then somebody else, when I mentioned it, reaffirmed that was... Uh, it's a brief um, history of everything, I think. Yeah. Thank you. You are much quicker yeah. with names than I am. I was trying to pull it up on my phone. Yeah, so I got that one because you recommended it strongly, and somebody else seconded that. And then the third book I got is uh, one by uh, Tanahisi Coates. I'm reading one of his books, um, Between the World and Me, I believe is what it's called, unless I'm screwing up one of the words. I'm reading that book, and I went to the bookstore actually to look around, like, physically at nonfiction books to get ideas. I saw another one that he did called We Were Eight Years in Power, um, and this one sounds like, one, it'll be interesting, but it also... Um, kind of fill that need that I have for like one it's like it's history it's political um it also has to do with um uh you know a lot of the stuff that we're looking at right now in society with um uh you know racism and you know those sorts of things so those are the three books I got Hmm. so I've firmly decided I am not down for fiction audio books but uh non-fiction is the way to go and I've been enjoying it and usually uh, when you get a free trial for Audible, when you go to cancel it before your free trial is up, the first thing they do is offer you three months at like a really cheap price. They're like, are you sure? Because yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's three months for like 15 bucks. So I, I think that I might, uh, like I, I still have, I think like 10 days before I have to decide, but I'm going to try to keep pushing through with this audiobook, And then like, if I keep on enjoying it, I think I might give it a little bit more of a shot. Finally, everybody's been trying to sell me on Audible and I've been resistant, but maybe... Maybe this is finally my time. You know what I really like also with Audible that they have is the great courses. And I've got maybe a dozen or more of those. And they're basically like lectures on subjects. And they're usually about half hour each. And uh, it, it's kind of like a cross between a college course and just uh, a hour, half hour of somebody kind of entertainingly talking about something. That and sounds I've awesome. Things for everything from like stuff about science to stuff on like classical music and the history and interpreting classical music to uh, the history of science fiction books um, to just straight up history books and or history courses and i really like those because they're short usually it's like between 25 and 50 minutes for uh, each lecture and they're usually while they're kind of sequential they are also like kind of bite-sized digestible pieces of information so it's really easy to just listen for like 25 30 minutes and feel like i i learned something interesting and entertaining and you know it's very easy to to get through so i, that I really sounds like, like those as well so much like what i want right there so is that one of the things that you get uh for free with the membership because like you get i think with a membership you normally get like one credit a month but then you get discounts on books and then but i know there's like a body of free things you can listen to as much as you want no they're not free you have to buy them just like another audiobook okay like with a credit but sometimes they have sales where they're like five dollars each okay and so I've loaded up on a bunch of those or, you know, so I've, I've done them with credits. I've done them, gotten them when they're on sale, uh, all sorts of things. I, this might be the time I finally delve into it. It makes me think of when I finally started trying out comiXology. Cause when that first 
hit my radar. I was like, I'm not going to pay money for a digital comic. That's silly. Mm-hmm. And then um, this is when I had my son. So he's a little baby. And Marvel Comics like have for quite a long time now had the free digital code. And I would get my comics, and then I would use the code, and I would sit there reading on my tablet while holding him, trying to get him to sleep at night. And that was, like, the only way I could really read comics. So that got me to start using it. And then I started, like, trying out, like, I've still never, well, there's probably a couple exceptions to this, but almost entirely I have never paid full price for a digital comic. But I love sales, you know? It's like now... Mm -hmm. You know, comicsology has changed a lot. Like, I don't need to go out and pay full price for a trade paperback when I want to read something or, like, try to find it used. I'll wait for a comicsology sell and I'll get it that way and get it for cheaper, you know? So, kind of same thing. Like, I've never delved into Audible, but, um, like, it might suit my needs now. And then once I start, like, trying it to a certain extent, like, you start to understand the benefits of a lot of different factors of it. Yeah. Um, the thing you were just talking about made me think about, there's um, a podcast I started listening to, and this actually created a, a great change for me in my, my life. Um, it's called Nutrition Facts with Dr. Greger. I Googled one day. I wanted to learn more about nutrition, and the easiest way when you're busy to learn more is to find a podcast that's decent. Um, so I found this one, and one thing I love about it is the episodes are generally about 15 minutes. Like They're all 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so they're short. So it's presenting concise information about one specific topic, a wide variety of topics, and they're short enough that it's not like you listen to part of it and then you listen to part of another day and it's all spread out to where like you don't get all the information. Um, even with how short my drive is to work, I can listen to one of these on the drive to work, one of these on the drive home. If I have a longer drive, I can binge through a few of them. But, like, I love information that way where it's concise enough. Kind of like we were talking about with, a, you know, a, a comic arc. You get a hardcover, but it's like it's one story start to end. And it doesn't matter what came before or after. That's just it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have that, you know. So it's, it's satisfying. But this uh, this podcast inspired me to uh, start eating vegan. Yeah. I've been, I've been looking and looking and, try, you know, trying different things over the years, trying to get a grasp on my health. Uh, I've I've developed a lot of food allergies over the years, um, a lot of other factors uh, going in. And I got some some weird problems too, like one that most people wouldn't know exists is oral allergy syndrome. So I will have a reaction to a food, but it's not because I'm allergic to the food. It's actually because I'm allergic to a seasonal allergen, and my body confuses the protein in the food for that allergen. So I'm not oh, actually allergic to the food. And it's all like fruits and vegetables and stuff. So if I cook it, I should be able to eat it. It's like carrots are a good example. Sometimes a year I can eat raw carrots, but usually I, I avoid them unless they're cooked because if it's the wrong time of year and I eat them and those seasonal allergens are present, I'll have a reaction like it's a food allergy reaction. It's like my, my face will swell up and stuff like that, you know, so like not good stuff. Um, so like I, I just all kinds of weird stuff. And I finally like um, I started listening to this podcast just because I wanted to understand nutrition better because I was trying to figure out what things I could eat more of, what things I could eat less of, like, you know, how I could do better. And th- this doctor is vegan. So, I mean, that's why, um, you know, of course, like the facts he's presenting are going to be the facts he's interested in. But he also uh, the you know, the podcast is free. He has a website that's free. He has several books out. All of his books, all the proceeds are donated to charity. So, like, I mean, he says this every podcast, but, like, the reason he's doing all of this is to help share this information to help people, not for any kind of gain for himself. Cool. 
So, I mean, if, if that all that's true, then, you know, you can take the stuff at face value a lot, e- a lot more easily. But his uh, every podcast, the way it's presented is based on facts from studies and not just, you know, this is what I think or stuff like that, you know? Yeah, because there's, there's a ton of that. There's a ton of, oh, I... I think it's better to eat plant-based foods and here's 10 reasons why it is emotionally a good idea (laughs) instead of. Yeah, exactly. And science. Yeah. And a a lot of studies are being funded by companies that want you to believe that their product is good. Yeah. It's like uh, the tobacco companies doing the tobacco studies about how unharmful tobacco is. Yeah, and it's really funny to listen to him talk about it because he will straight up mock a lot of these uh, responses, like uh, the tobacco company being like, you know, well, I mean, yeah, smoking will kill you, but, you know, you also like all these negatives about smoke, you also, you know, get exposed to them in these other ways. So, like, why give up smoking? It's like, no, that's, you, you that's don't. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget, like, you know, he's he said this a, a few times in what I've been listening to, but it's like, um, it's like you don't accept being shot with a gun because you could also die from tripping and falling, you know? It's uh-huh. like you don't just go like, yeah, go ahead and shoot me. Like, I might trip anyways, you know? But that's not his example, but it's like his examples along those lines. Like, this is ridiculous. But, yeah. So, anyways, there's a little recommendation of that podcast, but just the the audible things you're talking about made me think of that. Yeah, you know, uh, I I know I have to be in a certain frame of mind to listen to fiction, even yesterday, I was going for a walk uh, in the afternoon, and because um, I'm I'm trying to I'm part of a steps goal at work, so I'm trying to get my steps in every day, which nice. is actually very hard when the world around me is on fire and the air is full of smoke. I can't so see been, that being a limiting factor. I've been doing a lot of stepping indoors like an idiot, <laughs> so that's been fun. <laughs> what you should do is take all those uh, those books we're talking about you not keeping and build them up into like a staircase and then just like climb up and down it. Yeah, much better than our actual staircase in our house. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be much more interesting and you should definitely take a video of this. Yeah, but uh, the air is getting a little better and I went for a walk yesterday and I put on my audiobook and I there I started listening to the chapter and about like three minutes in I realized, wait, I I have no idea what's going on. I wasn't really paying attention to that. So I started it over and then I was listening and about five minutes in I was like, Whoa, wait, I, I have I just was zoning out and had no idea what that was and so I just stopped listening and put on some music because I realized, okay, I'm not in the frame of mind to listen to this fiction right now. Because I just I'm not in a frame of mind to focus on something like this. I'm in a frame of mind to just kind of blather out and let my mind wander. So music is much better for me right now on that. And so I find I I have to be ready for fiction. A lot of times, like when I go for a jog, fiction is really good because it helps me to focus on something other than. Oh God, I'm running and this sucks. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. And for yeah. me, trying to jog and listen to music, every song is like, okay, this is this much time passing. So it's, it's, it feels like watching the clock to me to listen to music. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I get the same thing. The, sometimes that's helpful. Like if I know there's an album that's 30 minutes long and I like all the songs, then sometimes that helps the time feel like it's clicking down quickly. But most of the time, yeah, I feel the same way. Each song is like, okay, there's another three minutes done. (laughs) 
and I'm counting, okay, how many more songs do I have to get through to finish this jog? But with an audiobook, it's easy to just zone out, listen to it, and um, just kind of focus on that rather than than the pain. So, it, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I know I can see how fiction can be hit or miss. My wife has a problem listening to fiction also. And so a lot of times if she does listen to audiobooks, I think she switched to more nonfiction stuff for similar reasons. Um, yeah. It's kind of like another medium uh, that is sort of like that where I have to be in the right place is watching uh, samurai movies because I'm watching them with subtitles and I have to either be 100% focused or they're like it's just background noise. Like if I'm not yeah. 100% paying attention, it's done. Like I'm, I lose the whole thing. So that's one. With, and that's why it's taking me a long time to work through uh, my Zatoichi collection. Uh, it's similarly, but in a much more immature way. That's why it's taking me so much time to work through Zeta Gundam anime. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anime. So I've unlocked this realm that I never had of manga. Um, in anime, eventually I'm going to start tapping into that some too. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm interested because like, I've had more exposure to people who are into anime than I have manga over my life. So it's like there's a lot of things that I've heard people talk about and stuff. You know, in uh, one that I think that anime is the way to try to get into it better than trying to read it is Akira. I yeah. I got I got the first volume of Akira from the library, and I read a little bit of it, and like it was fine. I wasn't not enjoying it, but I felt zero compulsion to read it because I like it's there's other stuff I want to read, and as good as it might be, like it still just felt like it's just you know typical manga action story that's one where i feel like the anime may be just as good or better than the manga and i think if i watch the anime and i get exposed to a bigger story then i could delve more into reading it because obviously it's, it's highly regarded for a reason but yeah so like that'll probably be when i, I finally dip in and i mean i guess i've watched some anime because i've watched a lot of uh the uh studio ghibli stuff right Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's almost hard to consider that anime. Yeah, it's, in weird it's in my mind. Super approachable anime, I guess. It's like the Disney of anime. Well, I it seems like it's it's only anime in the technical sense that it is animation from Japan. Yeah, and not anime in the sense like it because anime is kind of like comics, where comics for the most part are mean it's going to be a certain genre. Most comics are superhero, and if not superhero, some sort of um, genre fiction, like fantasy or sci-fi or, or something along those lines. It And I know that there are exceptions to this, but I think for the most part, that's what comics are. It's like superheroes and genre fiction. And anime is kind of similar in that there tend to be particular genres that are most of what anime is and it takes a lot of work to find the things that exist outside of that typical uh kind of quote-unquote genre of anime yeah but see that that's what kept me out of manga for the most part for so long like other than dabbling a little bit in in a couple of things is just what you're saying like the majority of manga like if you say manga to somebody the first thing they think of is like naruto or one one piece or yeah um Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that which is not really the stuff i'm interested in reading like there might be the point where i get to i don't mind you know i'm gonna check this out and 
know, it's like the equivalent of, of me reading popular fiction. Like, I'm resistant to, I don't know, Stephen King for the most part. But every once in a while, you're like, yeah, this is popular for a reason. Let me try this book. And you read Stephen King, you're like, well, that was fun. Like, still not this thing that is what I really, really want. But, like, it's good to, like, get into some... Um, and I say this word with trepidation describing Stephen King, but lighter fare. Um, <laughs> Stephen King books may be very long, um, but there's not like any kind of crazy depth to them is what I mean by lighter fare. You know, I mean, you can read a very short book that is very, very heavy fare and then read a thousand page book that is, you know, there's there's nothing below the surface or not much below the surface for the most part, but... But so no, here's a question. You. So yeah. you're, you're saying, and like I'm not disagreeing with you. But, uh, this is like kind of how people think of things. But so Studio Ghibli, most people like if I said I watch anime, and then somebody's like, "What do you watch?" I'm like, I, "I've watched Totoro and Howl's Moving Castle." They'd be like, uh, "It's not really the same thing." But Nausicaa is a Studio Ghibli movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so I would fall into that same category. If I said I watch anime, I've watched Nausicaa. You'd probably be like, "Well." But Nausicaa is also a manga. Yes. Now, is that fair calling that manga? Or are you like, eh, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it's manga because it's, you know, or, you know. Like, well, is I thought it, it was a manga it? first before it, it was is. an anime. It was a manga first. But my point yeah. is, if it's a manga and if I said I read Nausicaa and you're like, oh, that's good manga. But then I say I watch Nausicaa and you're like, well, it's not really anime. It really just does come down to like we get these preconceived notions of what something is. And um, just kind of start accepting that, like, okay, this is what that is. And so it's like, well, you know, Studio Ghibli is not really anime, but, well, is it? Like, are we defining anime too narrowly because we're constraining it to, like, what the accepted de- definition has grown to be? I think it it uh, it's like saying that, yeah, I, I've watched anime. I've watched the uh, Studio Ghibli stuff is totally reasonable. But I think that when people think of anime fans, quote unquote, it means more people that are interested in stuff beyond that. It's kind of like saying, oh, I'm a comic book fan. I read Watchmen once. And and that's kind of like you saying, well, are you really a comic book fan or have you kind of read some of the really good comic book stuff? You know, I I think that's... I'm not saying that doesn't make you a fan just because you've only read Watchmen, but I'm just saying like that's a kind of attitude that you could see, and I think it, it could be um, similar. Yeah, and I think so. I mean, like it, it sounds like we're brushing on what can turn into gatekeeping. Like, well, unless you meet my quota, you're not a fan of, and you know, like like I have the right to say you're a fan or not. That, that's not what we're aiming for here, and I think that's where when when somebody's a fan of something like you want to see like the continued growth in it you know yeah it'd be the same as like i've watched a football game so i'm a fan of this football team it's yeah. like well I, I appreciate that you like them based on that one game but like hey let's you know let's keep watching it you know yeah i mean like if somebody were asked me recommend an anime i would say uh yeah studio ghibli stuff like that's <laughs> that's like the best stuff so like go watch that of, co- of course yeah. Plus, it's good like to know like okay, this is entry point approachable to people who are not into this stuff. I mean, like mm-hmm. me with me with manga. Like suddenly now, I have a whole bunch of books to read. Um, and it started out with um, really, it started out with somebody lending me Wandering Island, which is probably like a I don't know, like a little bit of a deeper cut. Like that's definitely not like a, a popular 
title, like one of the like really obvious popular ones. Like I would not have come upon this on my own. Yeah. Um, very the, basically two people strongly suggested it and they're both people who are, are very into a lot of stuff. So like they have those deeper cuts of stuff, but like they suggested a book that was very different than the typical fair. And if, if the only suggestion I came out with from like my whole process of trying to like get ideas of stuff to check out was that um, Akira and Ghost in the Shell were like the top two things to read, which those were the things that, like won the contest. If I just tried those, I, I wouldn't be reading manga, you know? So like yeah. knowing, knowing the entry level stuff and then like knowing how to say you like this. Well, hey, check this thing out, you know, is uh, is a good way to to grow people's interest and in stuff to where we can you know share it all positively. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it. It is. I can't say yeah. yeses, but I can make good statements. <laughs> All right. Well, you you want to wrap up on that note? We're just about to hit an hour. It looks like. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to throw one thing out. Just uh, a thing. I'm about halfway done reading, but I figure it's rather than we we have this habit on our show of talking immensely about something when we're in the middle of it and then not doubling back which was yeah. why our last episode was a big old double back episode yes. um uh-huh. the the book i'm reading right now is called 20th century boys it's by uh, naoki urasawa um he has done uh quite a few other books that have been recommended to me but i haven't seen them in a store and this is one that was recommended and i actually came across was like i'll grab this is one of my like two try books um, he's done Monster and Pluto or two that have been strongly recommended. Uh, and then there was another one that I, when I went to the bookstore the other day, I, I browsed around the manga a little bit and I took a picture. Because uh, this is one where if I had stumbled across this myself, just looking at it, I would have uh, checked it out. It's called uh, Mujirushi, The Sign of Dreams, also by uh, Urasawa. Um, so I, like, I've really been enjoying this book. Um, it has flashback scenes that to me feel like very um um stand by me ish Hmm. like this book it's it's really enjoyable it's uh it has that like kind of like boys coming of age feel in parts of it but it's also like a sci-fi mystery kind of book like what's going on um like i'm still i'm only i'm a little bit less than halfway through this volume but like just knowing you i have a feeling you would really like it um, so right. I had cool. book to check out, like once I finish this volume and there's, I think there's quite a few volumes of it. And, you know, once again, like manga is so affordable. It's 20 bucks cover price for this pretty thick book. But yeah. So check it out. Uh, I'll talk about it more in the future, but I just wanted to mention that. Okay. That sounds good. What, I, well, one thing I'll mention is I started reading, uh, the fourth world stuff, the Jack Kirby books. I've heard and the thing that really jumped out at me is how similar the storytelling is to Jonathan Hickman in a Uh. way in that he throws out these crazy insane concepts as perfectly normal. Yeah, this is what's going on. And and this is here, you know, and I, one of the things I always feel with when I'm reading Jonathan Hickman is I always feel like there's one issue I missed where it kind of explained everything of like, okay, now this is this and this is this, and this is this. And 
he doesn't do that. He just throws out these crazy ideas. They, oh, yes, there's there's a uh, a council of uh, of Reed Richards, and they are solving all the problems in the universe. Of course, yeah. So let's jump like let's jump to the middle of that. Or oh, there's these weird people on the moon that are cultivating all life on Earth, and uh, they will maybe have to fight the Avengers. Let's just you know jump right to that. And the fourth world stuff is is kind of like that. It's like oh, here's these teenagers that came through the boom tube, and now they. They are wandering around and uh, searching for their lost person uh, as they travel in their hypercycle or, or whatever it is. You know, it's just very um, similar in this throwing out crazy ideas without really establishing them much, but just jumping right into the story with them without really describing what they are or what their place is. And I thought that that was an interesting parallel that I noticed. Yeah, that's that's what I love about Hickman too. Um, like you know, we we talked about him a, a bit recently. Like East of West, I remember when I was first reading East of West, and it was a few issues in, and um, I just like I loved this wild, crazy book that was you know like it didn't explain anything. You just were in the middle of this world immediately, and I remember just a few issues in somebody posting somewhere on some social media comic group, whatever. Um, like what the heck is going on? And I was able to be like, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. Like I, I was able to explain the pieces that had happened. Cause I had read those few issues. And as it goes, like if you're paying attention, connecting the pieces, you start to make sense of it all. And, um, you know, the other person was like, Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, thank you. And I, it just like, it felt really nice to be able to, uh, connect with somebody and like share that. Not just, have it be like oh this is dumb because i don't understand it but like oh man i understand this now like this is cool you know that's what i love about hickman is it's so like densely thought out and interwoven but not explained so you have to like you have to keep paying attention and rolling with it and uh you know it starts to come together it's like uh there was a class i had in college that made me realize my learning style a little bit and i was much better at learning when i just listened to the instructor lecture rather than trying to read everything thoroughly and i feel like hickman's kind of like that like you just got to roll with it and it'll start to make sense together but if you try to like study it too hard you're not going to get anywhere yeah i think that that kind of makes sense and so i've taken that to heart that that way of reading that i have learned from hickman into this fourth world stuff and it's been much more enjoyable to just kind of go along with this idea that what's on the page, like they, they are introducing the characters. This is how they're introduced with this assumption that of course, you know who they are because they have always been around. And so I, I've just, it's, it's interesting that what I've learned from reading Hickman is now applying to something from gosh, what is it like almost 50 years ago? (laughs) that's awesome and that's it's actually really cool yeah that's super cool yeah and i you know we talked about this before but like i I gotta start trying to delve into jack kirby some there's actually a lot of stuff i can get on on hoopla too which is nice like we talked about like the purchase versus not thing so it can be tempting for me to go out and get a collection of his stuff but uh, i'm gonna start out digital and like try reading like um they have the marvel masterworks that has that this man this monster issue so it's like Uh, ah, cool yeah I'll get it for free and read it from the library. And you know, that might be the kind of thing that down the road, I'm like, man, I really love this. I'd like a hardcover with the art so I could look at it, you know, but who knows? Start the cheap way. Yes. Sounds good. 
All right. And on that cheap note, let's call it a day. All right. I, I like that, that cheap sign off. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find me on Twitter at Bad Deacon, and you can find my friend Paul on Twitter at Who's Paul. And you can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and all those types of things that people use to listen to podcasts. Basically, I think if you're listening to this right now, you know how to find the rest of our shows. Hopefully. Otherwise, there's a big knowledge gap there. (laughs) Which could be, right? I mean, maybe somebody landed on a website page and pushed a giant play button. And they're, they're maybe somebody's illegally sharing our podcast. They're bootlegging us. Oh man, well, I don't know. I don't know why you're getting viruses to listen to our podcast. You can do it virus free through proper channels. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, we we, <laughs> we are good virus free individuals. <laughs> if you find the official versions of us. Yeah. Last note as we wrap up. So you you shared our Twitter handles. Uh, we were actually we received a tweet from somebody to listen to an episode that we did, the one where we talked about uh, Junji Ito's books, and mm-hmm. um, it was it was really cool to get that tweet. Like it's a small thing, small effort to tweet, but uh, I didn't think to look up the person's name before saying this, and I don't remember because you know I'm awful with names. But uh, oh yeah, it's my uh, my friend Alex. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So like yeah. yeah, thank you for that tweet. Like that was cool, and that um like those little tweets very much can get us motivated to to you know delve into things that maybe we don't have the motivation for at the moment like i definitely got a fervor i mean i had my own fervor for sandman but i got that hyped up by somebody uh you know another friend who was listening um that got me just more excited about reading uh you know now now i need to read uh tomi in the dark uh and show you guys up for being scared of cats yep Uh, but yeah, so thank you to anybody who who does that. Like it's a little thing, but it definitely is a, a nice thing for us. Absolutely, cool. All right. Well, with that, let's sign up for another week. Boom. Oh.